President Obama's executive order calls for the sharing of information between government and industry and establishing a cybersecurity framework that includes establishing IT security best practices that private sector critical infrastructure owners could voluntarily adopt. Hello, I'm Eric Chiro of Information Security Media Group, and to discuss how organizations should approach the cybersecurity framework and information sharing, I'm pleased to be joined by Andrew Serwin. He's Chief Executive and Executive Director of the Layers Institute, a think tank that focuses on technology, privacy, and information governance. He's also the founding chairman of the Privacy, Security, and Information Management Practice and a partner at the law firm of Foley and Lardner. Welcome, Andy. Thanks for having me. I want to get your thoughts on President Obama's executive order as well as legislation before Congress regarding information sharing and establishing IT security best practices. But first, I want you to explain an approach to IT security called information superiority. What is information superiority and why is that important to organizations seeking to defend their IT systems and data? Information superiority started as a doctrine with the Department of Defense, and it really kind of spun out a lot of the asymmetric threats that started really in the late 90s, at least started to be recognized. And what information superiority does is it takes organizational behavioral and technical change and tries to help entities, whether it's the public sector, as we're talking about now, but we'll go over to the private sector, uh, use information in a superior way. And a lot of that focuses on creating systems that promote horizontal information sharing. And by that, I mean, rather than having vertical stovepipes of information along divisions of a company or perhaps in the public sector by agency or by group, you try to set up a system that encourages the sharing of information across department or across group. And what that allows you to do is see where there are synergies. And in the military or intelligence community, obviously that creates actionable intelligence. But the private sector creates a variety of different synergies that can result in increasing profit, reducing costs, having better IT security, optimizing your risk. And so that's the overarching goal. And so really with DOD, it is a doctrine that's focused on creating actionable intelligence to deny, um, frankly, an adversary the ability to create an asymmetric threat. And an asymmetric threat, in essence, a weak force versus a strong force, but a weak force using information to gain a tactical or other advantage. And so 9-11 is an example of that. The attack on the coal is an example of that. What I would say is that results from what I would call as an information imbalance. The weaker force creates the asymmetric threat by really creating this information imbalance where that weaker force knows more about a system or tactics than the stronger force. And that weakness is then used against the stronger force to create you know, a, a larger issue or become a force multiplier. And that was 9-11. Uh, they obviously used our planes against us, but used information, which was the ability to, to go through security with four-inch or under knife as the way to get to the point of creating that information imbalance and then the asymmetric threat that we all know. So that is what it is on the DOD side. For the private sector, if you're looking at IT security, in, in some cases there are these advanced persistent threats that are an issue and I, that's certainly something we need to focus on. But in many cases, the issues we're seeing result from not necessarily even zero-day issues, it's a lack of patching or a lack of understanding of where risk is or more importantly where the most sensitive information in an organization is. And so information superiority for the private sector will allow companies to focus on where their information is the most sensitive through data classification and then look at those systems that have that sensitive data or those sensitive systems and say, 
have we taken the steps necessary to figure out what information is there and how to best protect it given the value to our organization or the threat it could create. Once that's done, putting in systems that allow you to share information horizontally, as the public sector has done after 9-11, lets you focus on the high-value information. It also then allows your executives to really use information in a superior way, which is the broader point, which is looking at how companies can better use information to, whether it's through behavioral advertising, more importantly, through aiding executive decision-making to make the companies run better. The corporate executive's job is to make decisions, and the best way to make good decisions is to have the right information at the right time. And so information superiority will let you do that, whether you're making a decision about how to increase profit or, more importantly, for this conversation, how to increase IT security. Sounds as if IT security is very strategic to a company in uh, that company reaching its objectives, its goals. It is. And I think that's the kind of been the missing link for the IT security profession is a CIO is the chief information officer. He or she is not the chief technology officer. Their job is really to figure out how to best use information and best and how to protect it. The same systems that we would put in place to govern information to make sure that you have the right security systems in place would also permit you to do a broader range of, of things with that information. And so the point is to say, if you're going to look at how to secure your information, obviously you don't secure every level of information the same way, nor should you. It's the same as you have some buildings you might have stronger security around, physical security around than others. And too often, I think with IT, there's one size fits all approach taken. And so I think the first step is to say, figure out the classification of sensitivity of the information, which is exactly what you know the public sector does. They have different levels of protection and access controls based upon the sensitivity, based upon their classification system, which is everyone knows is you know top secret and down. And so what I'm really saying is the, the private sector needs to do the same thing. It would be nice to have the budget to protect all information in the same way, but the reality is in these days of doing sort of more with less, we can't afford it. And so the goal is to say, pick out the top databases or top systems where you have the most sensitive data, where you do have your proprietary IP or you do have your customer list or pricing, and say, we're going to tier our systems so that those systems are protected better so that uh, state-sponsored actors can't take our IP or state-sponsored actors or organized crime can't use us as a money mule to launder money. And that's really the goal of information superiority, particularly as it's coupled with the data classification side. Sounds a lot like uh, information risk management, information risk assessment. It, it is. And I think that the next step of that evolution, though, is to say that, again, you know, an executive's job is to make decisions. And so where I think IT and security can become really critical to the business function is to say the very same systems I would want to put in place to manage risk also let companies figure out how they can better use information to derive profit. You can look at disruptive technologies. In many cases, there are some cases where the technology was the issue and there was just a massive advancement in technology, but there's also situations where those disruptive technologies really are readily available technologies that one business figured out how to use in a superior way. And the example I'd use is Amazon. The web was available to everybody. What Amazon figured out is a better way to deliver the product they were selling to their customers. And obviously, there have been a lot of brick-and-mortar businesses like Borders that have gone out of business because of the competition. I think that's an example of, again, a a low-tech approach, if you will. It wasn't some 
massive step forward because the internet was there. What it was is marrying up that technology with information to say how can we deliver this product in a more efficient way to our customers and gain market share. Let's segue over to recent developments in Washington with the president's executive order, Congress uh, considering newer legislation that deals with information sharing. What's at risk to the national security and economic stability by the lack of laws that allow information sharing between government and business and business and business? The, the challenge is that you have, in its purest form, a state-sponsored actor attacking the United States and creating a public sector risk. The problem is, unlike in the past where you would have physical force on physical force, what you've got is this cyber threat where it's really a public sector entity, a state-sponsored entity, attacking us and creating public sector risk, but doing it by attacking the private sector. And I think that's the challenge and that's the threat landscape of today. What you have to do, and I think President Obama did a, a good job for as far as he could go, is to encourage the sharing of threat intelligence from the public sector to the private sector. The, the missing piece, though, is really how does the private sector organize and how does the private sector, within appropriate bounds, share information perhaps among themselves and also up the chain to the public sector. And there's a couple different issues embedded in there. One is the private sector usually doesn't like sharing threat vulnerabilities with their competitors. And I think we have to get to a place where there's a way to do that so that competitors in the same landscape, if you will, are comfortable sharing some form of information. The challenge is that it's harder to see these threats if you're looking at one stovepipe, which is one company, but perhaps you'd see the threat sooner if you saw that the same IP address, for example, was trying to penetrate 50 different banks. And it may be that the public sector has that information through its own processes, in which case you'd want the public sector to be able to share that information in some way. You'd also want the ability to sort of get that information together on the private sector side to either share it amongst its, themselves or, where appropriate and legal, share it with the public sector because there may be times where the private sector, since it is the front line of this attack, sees these threats, or at least if it knew what it was looking for, would see the threat before the public sector does. And I think we obviously have to be concerned about privacy and civil liberties. We have to be concerned about the competitive landscape, but we also have to recognize that this is an organized threat on the other side. This is a threat where there's a lot of time and a lot of money spent trying to breach these systems whether it is state-sponsored or organized crime, and the only way to beat an organized threat is to organize to beat it and figure out how to do that. And I think that's the next layer of where this has to go after the executive order is to see what Congress will do about encouraging information sharing, whether it's among the private sector or the private sector to the public sector. Of course, one approach is being offered uh, or has been offered by uh, the chairman and ranking member of the House Select Permanent Committee on Intelligence. It's the Cyber Intelligence Sharing and Protection Act, uh, known as CISPA. It did pass the House last year, never got considered by the Senate. But there are a couple of concerns about that, and you alluded to them. One is that business sharing information with government could compromise the privacy of stakeholders, customers, and employees, for example, with government, especially the National Security Agency. These are some of the concerns expressed by Civil Liberties Group, and I believe by the White House last year in a veto threat on this uh, bill. The other is that by exempting companies from liability lawsuits and sharing cyber threat information, corporations could claim cyber threat in defending against lawsuits when they really isn't dealing with cyber threats. Let's discuss both of these. Let's first address the privacy concerns. Uh, what are the proper protections? Um, does CISPA provide them? 
you know, obviously it's going to depend on what the final legislation looks like. I think the answer, though, is you have to balance, and it's what we went through with uh, airport screening. Obviously, after 9-11, the airport screening regimens increased dramatically. Some would say they went too far. Obviously, we've had them go further and then back down a little bit even recently. You know, we talk about privacy, and, and one thing I've written on extensively is privacy is really a subjective norm. It's a norm that society uses to express its concern over when basically the use and collection of information about its citizens. And sometimes that's expressed in laws. Sometimes that's expressed in societal norms that aren't laws. What we're trying to do is balance the citizens' rights to keep certain information either from being used in certain ways or collected and balance that against the threat. And there's t the reason I draw those two distinctions is there are certain laws that would say you cannot even collect this type of information. There's other laws like FICRA, uh, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, that would say you can collect it, but you can't use it for these purposes unless you meet certain criteria. And so I think given the threat that we're seeing, and you know, hopefully it doesn't take the cyber 9-11 to get us where we need to be, you have to go to a point of perhaps less focusing less on the restrictions on the collection of the information and focusing more upon restricting use of certain forms of information, meaning if it is used for national security purely, then companies probably should have a wider latitude to share information among themselves and share information with the government. That shouldn't be necessarily a free path to say all information sharing is appropriate, but you certainly could have a model that focused on the use cases and say these forms of information can be collected for national security purposes or for sharing of threat intelligence, but they cannot be reused, misused. They have to be controlled in certain ways. And so I think there's a way to both meet the privacy concerns of the citizenry and also meet the threats of tomorrow. And that's what we're really trying to do is anticipate the threat of tomorrow before it becomes the grid goes down or another major cyber incident happens where there's either loss of life or severe loss of economic viability. Isn't the excuse of cyber threats a legitimate concern when it might be misappropriated? There's always a concern with any form of information collection that it could be misappropriated. And that's an issue we've been dealing with certainly pre-9-11, but absolutely post-9-11. We have to try to define what we're willing to have you know, information collected for and what we're willing to let it be shared for. Again, I'll use FICRA as an example. It certainly lets information be collected, but when it's used for employment, credit, or insurance purposes, its uses are limited. There's notice required. There's certain security and accuracy requirements. There certainly are laws out there that would say if it's misappropriated, then there is liability for that, which would discourage the private sector from sharing inappropriately as the law would define it, but it would also give the private sector a little freer reign to share information, and it would also, frankly, limit the government's use of this, because I think obviously one of the concerns here is that the, the government gets it and then can use it for any purpose it desires. If we want to address privacy concerns, we have to recognize that whether that is a legitimate concern or not, there's a number of people that feel it is, and there's probably ways to restrict the government reuse of this information even once they have it. And the reality is, if it's actionable intelligence, I think in most cases the government isn't going to want to be widely sharing that because it undermines their own investigative efforts. There's certainly a balance to be struck where that line gets drawn. It's hard to say, and again, depends upon society's views on privacy because it does shift over time. One final area I'd like to explore, it's the cybersecurity framework uh, the president's proposing, which establishes standards or guidelines on IT security that critical infrastructure owners could adopt. They say they're voluntary, but aren't there circumstances when a company may face liability of some sort? 
even if they don't adopt voluntary standards? Well, there certainly is, and I think there's two points really in that this discussion, one of which is, is voluntary voluntary? And it is until someone says it's not. That could be Congress, although in reality it could be a court down the road saying, yes, there were these voluntary standards, but you didn't meet them, and therefore you may have liability. That's what plaintiff's lawyers will argue. It may be that a court wouldn't buy that. In many cases, they don't, but there have been circumstances where at times these kind of best practice recommendations can, in essence, become a de facto standard. And I think that is something that companies need to be mindful of. I think there's a second layer to that, which is if you're the company that doesn't follow them, putting the law aside and putting creative plaintiff's lawyers aside, do you want your brand to be associated with someone who didn't meet best practices with information? And there's some companies that might say, you know, we're okay with that. We don't care. There's a lot of companies where consumers have choices and if it's perceived that you are less privacy or security centric, you have an incident and you haven't met these voluntary standards, you may have a brand event that is not helpful, we'll say. And so I think companies have to look at this beyond legal issues, which is what is your brand, what does it stand for, and how would your brand suffer if you were found not to have met these voluntary standards if there is a major incident, whether you're the linchpin to the next 9-11 when it's cyber or you just lose someone's information. I think the second piece of this discussion is what in the world is critical infrastructure? And there was some debate, and I've seen two different versions even floating around of a draft of this thing, and at one point it looked like there were some categories defined. Ultimately, what I've seen on the White House site is one that focuses on this sort of standard to say, you know, DHS can define what critical infrastructure is based upon, you know, its own analysis. And I think you've seen in the past 18 categories uh, under some prior guidance from DHS. That may just be the beginning. And I think that's one other thing that companies need to take away. One is, if you look at those old 18 categories, uh, which are not binding under the executive order now, there's a lot of companies that are part of critical infrastructure that don't feel they are. The second point is, if DHS has discretion, which I believe it does, to further define what critical infrastructure is, I suspect they're going to go further, not narrower. Those 18 categories might just be the beginning. Companies need to do a realistic assessment in light of the threat landscape of today and what DHS may be thinking to see, are we critical infrastructure? And if so, what does that really mean? Thanks, Andy. Thank you. I've been speaking with Andrew Serwin, Chief Executive of the Lars Institute. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.